you would please stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to read the first six verses. I want to tell you that I'm calling this sermon, Know Your Enemies. Know Your Enemies. Because what Jesus Christ is doing in the second half of the book, in the first half of the book, he's, he's, he's telling us this is what is wrong with the world. This is what's wrong, especially in what Christians have to go through. And this is, this is how I'm going to repay those who do wrong. That's what he's doing in the first half of the book. What happens in chapters 12 and following is he just starts focusing on characters, key figures. And what he's saying is there are powers behind all of this. And so we meet one. The one who's behind the spiritual conflict of all the things we experience in this life. In Revelation chapter 12. I'll start in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. With the moon under her feet. And her head a crown of 12 stars. So here's one figure. A woman. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them onto the, to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, which where she was. She has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for twelve hundred and sixty days. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. What God is doing in Revelation 12 through 22. Is he showing us who is behind the curtain. Of all of our. Greatest. Troubles. And and God is teaching us this this truth. The Christians enemies. Are masked. And menacing. It's the gospel truth or the, the one point that I'm trying to make throughout this whole sermon as we look at our enemies, the Christians enemies. And you can say, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Jesus. Well, these are your enemies as well, but they're just not as concerned about you because they've already got you. The Christians enemies are masked. They're behind the scenes. You can't see them with your own eyes. And they're menacing. Revelation 12 through 22 reads like like we've just stepped into one of those uh, those rooms that civilians can't get into the, the, the military briefings. Where all the powerful in our our country gather together and then they run through who our enemies are. Maybe you've seen these in in movies. 
Uh, maybe, maybe you've been able to, to hear some of the story of, of, of even one of these recent examples of a military briefing where they were talking about America's enemies. Where, where, where they were told there's this guy. And because of his religious beliefs, he, he has made us his target. He hates us. He hates our way of life. And the problem is he's hired the best scientific minds in the world to study our weaknesses and to develop attacks that really get to us and can take us down. And you need to know that he's now amassed these forces of devoted soldiers who really do accept all of his politics his view of morality and the way that we should live. And they are absolutely committed to him. He has their allegiance. And they are committed even to exterminating whole populations of people. And you should know that where he's headquartered, he's got access to seemingly endless resources. You may not be able to see him, but he's menacing. And what Jesus is doing in these chapters is he's unmasking our menacing enemies. And you need to know it. Even if it scares you. Even if you're the sword who doesn't like to go to the doctor because you're afraid of what he'll say about the truth. This is going to be scary. Listen to me. Our Savior believes we need to know our enemies. That's why he, he does this in these chapters. Because if he doesn't tell us our enemies, we're going to keep on doing the things that we are all inclined to do. And that's just to be concerned and worried About all the wrong things. There's the enemy's masked. You you need to take this in. We need revelation to tell us what's actually going on behind the scenes or because we won't see it otherwise. So that. they're, 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 They're playing in the darkness so that we don't see and we would. Focus on all the wrong things and pray about dangers that may be some bad things, but they are not the big dangers. So, Jesus gives us these chapters so that we would know our enemies. And I want to walk you through the four enemies he presents to us. Four enemies. And each one of them has a unique and menacing quality. So, point number one. Beloved, beware the dragon's determination. His unique menacing quality as presented in the book of Revelation is the dragon is determined. He's determined. 
I want you to imagine Jesus walking into a, 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 us into one of those military briefing rooms. And, 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 and when we, when we go in there, he's got one of those org charts. You know, you've seen this maybe in mafia movies, you know, where they, they figured out, okay, this is the, this is the dawn, not Trump. I'm, well, maybe anyway, like they, they've got someone at the very top and this is the main bad guy. And then they've got a pyramid of other enemies under him, right? You've got the, these are his generals, right? All the way down to his foot soldiers who are carrying out his great plan. And if you would follow Jesus Christ, he would want you to know that the enemy that you should pray most about and you should be praying. What you should be praying about this season of Christmas is not how you're going to pay for things. Not just that and certainly not mainly that. You shouldn't primarily be praying this Christmas about how you're going to get through these heartbreaking relational realities of the holidays. The, the, the main things that you pray about whenever you pray shouldn't be the obstacles that are getting in the way of, of your happiness. You shouldn't primarily be praying about that person who's got it out for you. Or your health. You should know your enemies. And at the very top is the dragon. Who we're told, look in chapter 12, verse 9. Look, look there. After that dragon was described in, in the first few verses, verse 9 identifies him. That dragon is the ancient serpent, the devil. Beloved, I'm here to tell you the most menacing and scary thing about the devil is his determination. Look, chapter 12 and verse 4 says his first target is this woman, but not this woman. It's the child that was born to the woman. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week, but you can guess what child he might be after who would be born in this season. He was there and he was determined. And so he set himself up throughout the maybe the whole pregnancy to devour this child the moment that he would be born. But look, after that child is rescued from the enemy, look at what he does next in verse 13. Look at verse 13. When the dragon was 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 basically conquered and thrown down to the earth. What does he do? He's determined. And so he he moves from one target to the next. If I can't get the child, I'm going to pursue the woman. And then in verse 17, whenever the, the dragon is defeated in any kind of way. He can't get the child. He can't get the woman. He becomes furious with the woman because the woman then escapes. And then he goes off to make war on the rest of our offspring. What I'm saying is he's determined. He's relentless. Do your prayers and does your life reflect that you agree with God that you have an enemy, the devil, who is determined? Who is after you? After you to do what? Well, another place Jesus says 
after you to steal, kill, and destroy. And you see that from the very beginning of when this ancient serpent, the dragon, the devil, shows up in the, in the Bible. It's like on page two of your Bibles. In Genesis chapter three, he shows up and he goes to God's people. And, and how does he do this? He says, did God actually say this? This is how he seeks. He's determined. He tries to make you question God's word. And then he twists God's word. God said that you would die if you disobey him. And he says, you're not going to die. If you disobey God, you will become God. I hope that you agree with God. And you're sobered right now that you've been led into that briefing room and you've been told at the very top is a dragon supposed to be a terrifying image. To hear he's not some friendly dragon like those cartoons maybe sometimes have. He's a killer. But you would be wrong if you thought he was just after your physical life. Or the physical circumstances of your life. Or anything temporary at all. Beware the dragon's determination to make You deny God to make you in big ways and in little ways deny, forget, not think about your desperate moment to moment, absolute need for God. To make you live with some other purpose than than what we were made for, which is to worship and know and love God, that's what he's determined to come after. He is determined to kill you forever. By making you not trust God, not know him and not think about him. So you hear people. When I, when I say, do, do you live your life and does your prayers reflect that, that you believe you have a relentless and determined enemy? And some people will say, yes, Ryan, I, I do live that way. Because every time I have to face the fact that I get into my old Hyundai and I realize I don't have that BMW yet, I'm like, that devil's after me again. That devil's trying to get me. Discouraged me by this call. Let someone else get that promotion. All that blessing. Devil's after me again. I'm not trying to encourage us to look for a devil in every bush. I do want you to understand that God says, be sober minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary is the devil. And he is prowling around like a roaring here lion seeking someone to devour. He may not be behind every disappointment in your life. He may not be behind. He may not be the one who's behind that unanswered prayer. But he is behind every God ignoring habit in your life. 
He is behind every single temptation to sin against God and live your life another way than what God wants you to. He is behind every excuse that he gives you for how hard your life is and therefore it's okay for you to live like that. It's okay for you to focus on other things. The dragon is determined to stack up so many incidents of that kind of ignoring of God so that you have an entire lifestyle of denial. And I would just plead with you. I, I'm guessing there are some here right now who give very little thought to God outside of church. He's already got you, if that's it. The Christian's enemies are masked and menacing. At the top is the dragon. But I want you to see what we're going to unpack later. But at the end of chapter 12, what, what the dragon does. At the end of chapter 12 and verse 17, he keeps turning his attention to get more and more of God's people and now he's coming after all of God's people in verse 17. And notice what it says at the end of the chapter. And then he stands on the sand of the sea, chapter 13. And, and after he stands on the sand of the sea, John sees a beast rising out of the sea. The dragon stands there and then, a, and then he summons a beast out of the sea. And then verse 11 uh, of chapter 13. Then John sees another beast rising out of the earth. The other three enemies that I'm going to introduce to you are the generals in the dragon's army. He's standing there and he raises them up, each one. And what I mean is, each one of them has a special skill to serve the dragon's purpose and determination to lead us away from God. So the second Enemy I want to introduce to you today. Beloved, beware the beast's domination. Beware the beast's domination. Dragon has a right-hand man. And it's this beast we see at the beginning of chapter 13. I mean, if, you, if you've watched any of these videos of... Uh, uh, or gone to a zoo or whatever and seen a mature lion or a mature gorilla. Beasts are called, uh, these, these enemies are called beasts or this enemy is called a beast because he's all muscled up. He's vicious. He's a predator. Daniel chapter 7 prophesied about these beasts and we were told in Daniel chapter 7, these beasts are kings. They're kings. The beast has dominion, has rule, has authority over humans. They are symbols of human governments and they're dominant. You can think about this. Just think about how governments dominate. What I mean is they have power to just take your money from you. They have power to make you spend time in prison. They have power to create laws, and if you do not follow them, they can even take your life away from you in the death penalty. 
And, and, and th- this was true throughout the Bible. You can see this in the times of Moses. The beast then is Egypt. Remember, it, it fixed its eyes upon God's people of Israel and it used its dominations, persecution of God's people. Just think about those stories, used its power over God's people. And what were the, what was the beast trying to do? The devil was trying to use the government of Egypt to do what? To cause God's people to turn away from God. So you see all these times where God's people are so discouraged by their do- the domination of this government That they're starting to question God and leave God. And then later you've got Rome. And Rome, even in Jesus' day, made it really hard to be faithful to God. So you start to see Jews, the people of God, compromising. The beast has power and the dragon uses the beast To turn people away from God. But he's masked. Look in verse 5. It says. The beast has a mouth that is proud. And it exercises this authority. And, and look, look at what he does in verse four. He uses that authority in chapter 13. The beast wants everyone to worship the devil. And a citizenry that does that proclaims what is proclaimed in verse four. Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? I want you to hang with me. The sign that they're in the hands of this enemy. Is they say there's no one like us and no one can stand against us. (laughs) I just want you to consider how much that sounds like. Come and take it. How much What verse four and the sign that someone is no longer trusting and following God, but has all their hope in we're in the right nation. And no one can take us down. It sounds a lot like some forms of nationalism. Listen. We should be patriots, I think. I think we should thank God for the blessings he's given us in living in America. I think we should be loyal citizens. But the beast is a general in the army of the dragon. And he uses governments and their powers to make people feel secure Outside of God. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the only king who deserves all of your heart's allegiance. He's the only one. And elections in our country, they matter and you should vote. And you should not place any of your hope in them. Not one ounce of your heart's true hope 
should be given to anything that goes on in our country that is passing away. All our hope should be really in heaven because government is an instrument to carry out the dragon's purpose of leading people away from God. You see that very explicitly in chapter three, verse eight or 13, verse eight. Where people are going to be marked by their allegiance. To the beast. To make them. Through the pressure of even death. Turn away from God. That's what he's after. It's to make us think it's not worth really following. Jesus. So people who post and think and talk. Far more about what's going on in America than Jesus. Or how bad Russia is or whatever. That's just what he's doing. It'd be easier for me to persuade people to care about elections. Than about Jesus. Because the dragon is real. And he doesn't just have... The domination of the beast at his disposal. He also has the deception of the second beast. So point number three, point number three. Know your enemies, beloved, and beware the second beast's deception. Later, the second beast is called the false prophet. Beware the false prophet's deception. Look in chapter 13, verse 11, that this other beast rises up. But then notice what he does in verse 13. He performs great signs. Why does he do that? Verse 14, by those signs, he deceives those who dwell on the earth. That's code in Revelation, those who dwell on the earth for everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus. He deceives them. Verse 16, he he will cause everyone to be marked not by the blood of the lamb, but by, by, by this mark on their forehead. And he deceives them that if you don't do it, you're not going to live in verse 17. To be marked by the beast. So the dragon, he first raises up a beast to represent his ferocity. And then we have the second beast, the false prophet, who, who he raises up to represent his deception. His deception. He's there to deceive. All to serve the devil's determination to lead us away from God. The Christian's enemies are masked. And menacing. And one of them. Is someone who. Whose job is to tell you truths. To make you believe things. He's a prophet. And he's there to deceive. Satan. 
Satan disguises himself. He disguises himself as an angel of light. As the opposite of what he is. And, and, and his mask helps him do what he really wants, which is to deceive. Or in the terms of Matthew 24, it, false prophets arise. People who want to make you believe certain things. To lead astray, it says, if possible, even the elect, even the chosen people of God. Of course, it says, if possible, to suggest that this is not possible. But that's what he would be after, to, to, to deceive even and lead astray even the elect. And yet we don't know until the end. You have to persevere to the end. You have to keep believing the right things. Keep believing the right one. Keep trusting in Jesus. And not everyone who claims when they're 13 years old that they love Jesus ends up continuing to because there's a false prophet out there who deceives people. And they start believing the wrong things. Things that are completely contradictory to what God says in Scripture. And so Paul has to say these kinds of things where he says, do not be deceived. I'm going to read to you what he says when he says to Christians, do not be deceived. And what you're going to hear me read is what many Christians are deceived into thinking. He says, do not be deceived. Just plainly. And you find whole denominations or your friend across the table who believe the very things that God says, don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Don't call yourself a Christian and be characterized by giving yourself over to certain sins that he has clearly said. No, he saved us from that. Do not be deceived. And if you struggle with any of them. If you're tempted toward any of them. Do not be deceived. Because Jesus Christ has blood that is powerful enough. To free you from the power of that temptation. And do not be deceived. Because Jesus Christ will forgive every single sin. Confess to him and repent it of. It may have a total domination of you. And the enemy would want you not to worry about it. And then he's got you. Or to just be consumed about it. And, and, and not trust Jesus can forgive you of it and deliver you from it. He's deceiving and this is why Paul then goes on to say, he, God wants you not to be children who don't care about what you believe because there is a false prophet who, who deals with truths. And he's going to toss you around and deceive you. That's his scheme. When I was growing up, video games were really getting popular. It was the heyday, video games. 
And I remember one of my favorites was Mike Tyson's punch out. Yeah. Come on. Good heavens. I know y'all can say amen. You play for hours and hours and hours. And then you, your friend would tell you about some cheat code. You know. When you're fighting great tiger, that little jewel on his head would flash. If you hit him right in the face, you get a star right in the mouth. Super macho man doing all those dodging, you know, spinning stuff. Just do a little dodge and then uppercut and he gone. Mike Tyson. I never beat Mike Tyson. I didn't know how to beat him. Y'all may have had that cheat code. I didn't have it. There's a cheat code. For beating the false prophet's deception. And yet I think it would be too simple to think of it just as a shortcut. Listen to me. Devote your entire life to the truth. To knowing God's word. Why do you think? At the very beginning of the book of Revelation, it said, blessed are those who hear and keep these words. Why do you think at the very end, after saying all these things, he says again, these words are true. And you can trust them. Blessed are all who keep, who aren't just aware of it, but who obey these words. We have a luxury It'd be like if someone just, when I got Mike Tyson's punch out, just handed me all the cheat codes and, and allowed me to beat Mike Tyson the first time I played him. We have a luxury that we carry around Bibles. There are Christians today who don't have Bibles. And for most of history, Christians did not carry around Bibles. It's like if you were given the GPS coordinates of your greatest enemy and then a nuke to send it to him. Do you see your Bible that way? I'm telling you, I'm a pastor of souls. And I feel responsible for eternity, for individuals. And I see an awful lot of them. Limping in the back and lagging behind for the enemy to pick them off. And it is in regard to their relationship with the Bible. Reading the Bible because you can daily, it matters. And your soul depends on faithful weekly preaching of the Bible. This is just a softball, guys. There are a lot of hard things in this life. It is a softball to just commit yourself. This is easy. It's easy. I know you can come up with reasons for why it's hard some days or whatever. No, you need to know your enemy and know this is an easy way to not neglect your soul. Your conversations with other believers around the truth, being corrected by other believers with the truth, it matters eternally. The fourth enemy. 
And the dragon's army is not introduced until several chapters later. The devil's going to get some with power of governments. He's going to get some with deceptions. And he's going to get others with delights. Point number four, beware the harlot's delights. Beware the harlot's delights. Or in chapter 17, verse 1, your translation may say the great prostitute. This enemy and, 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 and uh, uh, soldier of Satan uh, is, is described as a great prostitute for a reason. Is described as a harlot for a reason because she is desirable. It's getting at the desires of the heart. Chapter 17 and verse 4 describes this woman as arrayed in purple and scarlet. She's alluring. She's adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. And what is she holding in her hand, though? It is a golden cup. It's so appealing to us, but it is full of sin. And the impurities of her sexual immorality. Verse five on her forehead is her name. And it's a mysterious name. It's Babylon the Great. It's mysterious in this because she's called the mother of prostitutes or mother of harlots. And all the earth's abominations. It's a mystery in the sense that it's not just the one city at Babylon. It's every city like Babylon. Babylon in the Bible is known as the place where you can get all that this world has to offer. All the delights will be at your fingertips. Let me tell you something. I just came back from a few days in the Metroplex. And when I bought my latte in the Metroplex, I was offered a seltzer water. A side of seltzer water to cleanse my palate. To enjoy the notes of the espresso. I had never been offered this in my life. And it was delightful. We didn't get gas at all subs. We'd be looking at Bucky's. I mean, just drive in there where, and park wherever you like. And then you just get lost. And you can have anything you want at Bucky's. We went to a Chinese food restaurant that was not even a buffet. It had like a menu. The soccer games we played were on turf and we were under the Friday night lights. It was unbelievable. And there was a lot of traffic too. Cursed traffic telling us the truth that this world ain't enough. So chapter 18 verse 4. Chapter 18, verse 4, God says to his people, come out of her. Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Her sins are heaped as high as heaven and God knows it and he's remembered it. and He's about to answer her. The harlot is is is. Is symbolic, right? It's, it's symbolic of sexual pleasure because why? Because the devil, the dragon wants us to live like the flesh is everything. Like this life is everything. Like this world can offer you everything you want. The harlot represents all the pleasures that have a maker named God and yet these pleasures have been twisted to become God. 
all the love that we might share between people and we just make it everything in our life and we spend everything to get it. All the security we can have in relationships with our families and we make our family everything in front of God. All the blessings that money can buy and then we make making money our God. Sexual pleasure in marriage. And then we twist it and we say, no, you don't have to have marriage. And no, marriage is not between a man and a woman. It's twisted. The blessing of having a body that God can even use in sports. And then we make tournament teams and, 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 and going to this and going to that more important than worship. The harlot tempts us to pursue these pleasures and delights so intensely that God, the giver, is ignored and dishonored by the using of those things. And then, in line with the dragon's purpose, God is replaced by those delights. And I don't think I have to tell you that the harlot's delights are all over Christmas and you better beware. Beware the celebration of Jesus' birth. And how the delights of it may draw you away. The presents, the feasts, the family, the expectations, the hopes. I want to encourage you just to, in this season, give generously. Give generously and be content easily. Be content easily. I want to encourage you in this season to let every single disappointment you experience this holiday season, let it be a prophet telling you the truth. And that is, this world cannot satisfy you. Heaven and the King who is there is everything. You can spend this season celebrating lots of things. But if He's not the center of all of it, If Jesus Christ is not who you're thinking of, who you're not honoring when you do it, you can celebrate. You're celebrating something, but it's not Christmas. So beware the dragon's determination. The beast's domination. The false prophet's deception. And the harlot's delights. They are invisible. They are vicious. They are masked. They are menacing. And so Jesus Christ, like a husband who steps in front of his wife who's in danger, like a parent who is restricting their child's access to Social media. Like a referee who gives yellow cards to stop injuries from coming. Jesus Christ comes to us in Revelation 12 through 22 and says, I want you to know your enemies because I love you. I love you and I don't want you falling away. I started the sermon with a briefing of a recent enemy. I wonder if anyone recognized who I was talking about. 
The one whose religious beliefs makes us a target. There I was talking about Nero. Caesar of Rome. But also Osama bin Laden. And I was talking about Osama bin Laden and Hitler when I was talking about having all these resources. And, and Hitler who hired the best scientists. And, and all of them who had a legion of armies. Who were so devoted to them. That they would exterminate whole populations of people. What would you think? I mean, I hope when you can feel how terrifying that is and how people were really terrified when they heard of Nero, when they heard of Hitler, when they when we first heard of Osama bin Laden and, and, and were faced with trying to track him down. Well, well, what if I told you, though, you should be terrified right now of Hitler? I'm trying to scare you about Hitler. I hope you think that's stupid. Because he's dead. And so are all the rest. And listen to me. Chapter 19, verse 2. God has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And chapter 19, verse 20. Telling us what is to come in the future and speaking of it right now as if it's already happened. They're dead. Verse 20. The beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its, its image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Prostitute. Dead. Beast. Dead. False prophet. Dead. What about that dragon? Chapter 20 and verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Beloved, they are masked and they are menacing but what menaces us is no match for our king. This baby who we are worshiping this Christmas was targeted by the dragon from the moment of his birth. He escaped him. He resisted the dragon when he came one to one in the wilderness and he did not give into the temptation. And then he hung on a cross. And we are told that on that cross, when Jesus died, he disarmed the dragon of all of his power. And then God told us that he took all authority and every crown from the dragon and all of his army whenever he was raised from the dead. And now he's ascended into heaven. And one day soon he's coming back and he's going to crush the dragon under our feet. If you're here, and this is news to you, I don't mean that you've never heard this kind of thing, but maybe the Lord is using this word to open your eyes to your great enemy. Understand, you've got a worse one than I've talked about. And it's the God you're ignoring. And he will judge you with the rest of his enemies with an eternity in hell. But he reveals himself as an act of mercy. And listen, he can deliver you from all your enemies, including the wrath that you owe him for your sins. He can forgive you of them all if you trust in Christ alone.
The Christian enemies are masked and menacing, but they have no hope against our Savior. Oh God, we thank you for revealing our enemies to us. What better time for you to lead us through these chapters as we celebrate the birth of our champion. May we put all our hope in him, fear him first, and honor him and not turn from him whenever we're pressured by power, persuasion, and pleasure. Lord Jesus, would you get all of our thanks and all of our trust. We pray this in your name. Amen.